That's awesome. All right, go to your room. Daddy's gonna go to work. And we're live. Welcome to another episode of the podcast starring Kevin's daughter, Veda. Hello, Veda. Hello. How timely. We were just on for like 30 minutes and she decided to come say hi the second we went live. And Steve was in the background. You can't see him going wild. Like, see, what are the guys called on the okay. Good night, baby. On the tarmac with the with the things? What are those guys called? Yeah, they're called guys on the tarmac. With you the know what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But we're here. We're very excited to be here for episode 60, version 2. And you might be wondering, why are you having episode 60 right now? You had episode 60, what was it, 62? Last time, yeah, we had a, two weeks ago, we had episode 62. So why are you having episode 60? Well, if I'm answering your question honestly, because episode 60 in terms of um, our new platform and technical issues was a complete abomination. So uh, Yoon Ro, our amazing guest from episode 60, I feel, I, I felt so bad. We had this amazing conversation and people really missed out on it. So it was a real bummer for us because we had such a good time. And um, luckily for us, Yoon Ro is an amazing man who is willing to come back and spend time with us again. And actually the timing is perfect because um, he's just released his new book that we were so excited about, excited about when we were talking a month and a half ago. So we're here again. Um, we're here with Kevin, um, who is daughterless at the moment. Hi, Kev. And hey guys, how Chris are you? Leone, Chris Leone, everyone's favorite uh, tortoise breeder from Garden State Tortoise. Um, Steve's in the background, who you can't see. And of course, our wonderful guest, Yunro. Thank you so much for being with us again. My pleasure to be here with you guys. And we believe you. We believe you because you're here again. You ever thought you'd be doing this podcast what, a second what time? Fun could a, what more fun could a monk have? Than to talk turtle. <laughs> and that's true. I don't think I said that you're a monk, which which is something I should say. Right? That would that would explain the I just want to touch your shirt. Is that bad? <laughs> is that rude? You know, you're, it, look, you, it looks so, you know, silky. You always bring it right up to the line. I do. <laughs> I do. It's true. I can't help it, but I want to say it because I know the people who are watching are thinking the same thing. So that's all. But I also know that you're a very nice man, and you probably won't hurt me, although I know that you could. So okay. this Is that shirt, a bad way to start? This shirt was uh, a gift from uh, a friend of mine in Cambodia who runs a wonderful company that employs 600 artisans from around the country, gives them health care and places to live and uh, a steady income in their amazing work that they do with carving and uh, uh, fabrics and so on. Anyway, he he gifted me, he had a couple of shirts made for me when I was there helping him with his company last year. And uh, so I'm glad you like it. It's one of my faves too. Thanks. I do love it. And I, if I was with you, I would touch it. I just made it. <laughs> and that's, that's you in a nutshell a little bit. Not that you, we'd ever want to put you in a nutshell. There's too much cool stuff going on, but your shirt has a cooler story than 99% of my entire life. So that's why it's you're raw it's raw silk and it's said to grow hair just saying <laughs> okay 100 percent of what i've got going on in my life so yeah. it looks like it's working <laughs> 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 
Yes. I knew I should have touched it up before the, the, the call. Oh, well. Kevin is, you're on the ball tonight. Very good. Yeah, Very sharp. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I, got, I got yelled at, you know? That's yeah. a good start. I do. I, I, you think I'm bad to him on the podcast. You just see behind the scenes when I tell him he needs to speak up. Uh, my shirt was a gift from a guy in Pennsylvania, actually, named Steve. Okay, moving on. So let's talk about the book. Um, it's, it's really exciting. It's like nothing that I've ever encountered before. Um, what kind of led you to want to write this book? I, before we get into that, I should just say you, you've, or I should ask, how many books have you published? Have you written that have been published? Uh, I don't know. More than 20, I would say. More than 20. So it's been a lot of books. So from what I can tell, I'm a fan. So I have a lot of your books here. I have the, the Mad Monk Manifesto. I have I have what I think is your first book. Is that correct? Exotic Pets. Uh, yes, actually, that is my first book. Okay, so from what I can tell, you your first book was about exotic pets, something that you're obviously passionate about, or you wouldn't be on a turtle podcast, and you wouldn't be friends with me because everyone knows that I don't really talk about anything but turtles and exotic pets. So. The first book was about exotic pets, and then you have 20 in between, 20-ish, and then now we get to the new book, Turtle Planet. So why, why now? Why come back to this thing that obviously interests you now, if I may? Something that I did not realize back in the days when I first became interested in turtles and to a slightly lesser extent snakes was that the turtle with the snake coiled on top of it is actually the symbol for Taoism worldwide, which is the philosophy slash religion in which I am a monk. And if you go to Taoist temples all over Asia, you will find that statues and ponds full of turtles, statues with turtles with snakes coiled on top are ever present, omnipresent, no matter where in Asia those temples are, China, Southeast Asia, wherever. It's a strange coincidence that I should be drawn to exactly that philosophy or religion that is probably, was probably the world's first coherent conservation system and be drawn as a child to its very symbol. But there is some beautiful full circle feeling about that. And I have been keeping these animals for uh, 54 years now or so. And I've noticed that the exercise in compassion and the heightening of sensitivity to the natural world is ever more a piece of the work I do. And so when I take care of my own animals, um, I, I do so because I'm consciously interested in exercising compassion that way. Compassion in the literal sense of the word meaning feeling with. And so, uh, when I wrote my last book that was published, Mad Monk Manifesto, uh, my publisher, my editor, uh, wanted another 
uh, nonfiction book. And yes, thank you. And I thought, well, uh, I'll write one about the natural world and the natural entree to that natural world for me is turtles. I love it. Well, I'm grateful that that's the case because I think the book is tremendous. Um, for people, friends of mine, so this, I thought this was funny and it's something I wanted to tell you, but I wanted to save it for when we're on the air. For friends of mine, when they ask me, what's the book about? Like, what's, what's the deal? What do I expect? I basically explain it as it's kind of like, I think the term historical fiction is, is not fair, but you tell some his, his, you, 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 there's a lot of history, like recent history for turtles in there and what their situation is. Add to it your experiences, your life, your teachings as a monk. And it's kind of like a turtle version of Forrest Gump, where you're telling a story instead of the story of like, America through a certain through a person's lifetime. It's like the story of the world as it is for turtles through their eyes, but through you, who's like the conductor, the the person who touches all of these stories. Is so that fair me, to say? Let me yes. Is that spoiler frame, alert? Let me frame it from the point of view that I wrote it um, again. I can never be sure what people, you know, one thing I've, I've learned, there's um, a sage in my tradition. I guess you would say that he's in some way the analog of a Buddha or a Moses or a Jesus. Uh, and in one of his primary messages is you can only control you, so get to it. You know, don't worry about controlling anybody else. So I never know what people are going to take from what I say or what I write. All I can do is do the best I can to be clear and say what's in my heart and in my mind. But once I've spoken it or written it, um, the die is cast. What what people do with it, I cannot I cannot control or predict. So there is this great tradition in, um, in religions of all kinds, and this book is kind of a religious book in, in an unexpected way, um, that says that the teachings that we find in classic texts are there because somebody popped the cork in the top of their head, opened their mind to something larger. They heard voices, you know, whether they were actually hearing uh, a deity speak to them or whether they were schizophrenic as anybody's guess. But they, they heard, you know, something that they wanted to share with the world that changed the way they saw everything and understood everything to be. And in the Taoist tradition, we have what in the West would be called demigods. So like half gods or minor gods. And, and in the Chinese tradition, they're called immortals. So in an immortal in Chinese tradition can be somebody who was like a great warrior, a great king, a great artist, a great poet, and then was sort of canonized and if you're thinking about it in terms of the Catholic Church, it would be that they were made into some kind of a saint. But in the Chinese tradition, we say they were, they were immortalized. Uh, sometimes they're fictional characters that didn't really live, but they are become sort of a folk hero and they, become, they get this immortal status also. Um, so maybe sometimes I think about like Johnny Appleseed or some sort of legendary character, you know, in... in so 
So in the Taoist tradition, these immortals can interact with living people and they sometimes talk to you. And some great leaders in this 5,000 or more years of Taoist tradition have claimed to have been talked to by these immortals and told amazing things, which they then want to share. You know, they say, wow, now that I know that, I want to get on the podcast. And I want to share that with, with the guys, you know, because I, now I, I, I know something that I didn't know before, and I got it from on high, so to speak, right? So what I did in this book is I took that tradition, which is called um, spirit writing in Taoism, Chinese tradition, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to make the immortals take the form of turtles. I love that. So yeah. there are 18 turtles, and in the book I talked to 18 of these immortals, who each one of them incarnates as a turtle somewhere, uh, a box turtle in, in Vietnam, uh, a bog turtle, uh, you, you know, a, a soft shell turtle here and there, all around the world, different species, many of them endangered species. And um, one of them is the, um, is the Central Asian tortoise that the Soviets put into orbit mm. around the moon. And they actually sent this turtle around the moon and brought it back not, I didn't make that up. I actually right. did that. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, I happened to, in my meditation, encounter this fellow uh, where, when he's in Afghanistan where he was returned after the space flight. And he tells me about, you know, what it's like to see the earth from, from the moon and he's, his vantage point about, you know, our, our religions and our, our petty squabbles and what we've done to planet earth. And anyway, so, so the meat of the book is those 18 conversations and then it's bookended by some science and a little bit of autobiography. And and the fact that you are a turtle person, which is amazing, because so like I, I'll give an analogy. So when when everyone knows I'm a turtle person, so they get me turtle things. They go on vacation, they come back, and they give me the little turtle statue that's made out of turtle seashells. Right? Probably everyone who's on this podcast right now, or has ever been, or who has ever watched is probably the turtle person in their life, right? So we all live that life on some level. So when people come and they bring me these gifts, it's, I'm the type of person, like I'm always tickled by that sort of thing. Just the thought, it's the thought that counts. But when something resembles a real turtle, to me it means more. So you bring me something and it looks like a species I'm familiar with, I say, oh, that's really cool. That, that actually looks like a painted turtle that actually looks like whatever. Um, and, and that's the thing that I love about this, because I think this book would have been good if it was written by a non-turtle person. But I think the fact that you actually know and you actually love these animals and, you know, have knowledge of the different species and their situation in the wild and their situation in captivity and everything else brings it to a next level where the turtle person, the, the person interested in biology and science and animal welfare and all of that type of stuff, what we're talking about with COVID-19 and it allegedly starting in animal markets and, and all of that type of stuff. Anyone who's interested in that sort of thing can really take interest in it. In addition to the fact that there's religion in here and it's in a really digestible format that's really comfortable to read and inviting to read. Um, it, it just makes for a really nice book. But my point is, my point just being that the fact that you're a turtle person is something that's really 
exciting to me. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, Steve, feel free to pull up pictures while we do this, but, but tell us a little bit about your, take your time, take your time. Uh, <laughs> a little bit about your life with turtles, um, what you're keeping now, what you were keeping recently that you're not anymore, that sort of thing. Cause I, I know that part of your story, but I think, um, it may be helpful for some of our turtle loving viewers to kind of hear that side. So when I think back now on my early start with turtles, which, uh, my, my very first experience with turtles, which I'll relate in a moment, when I think back on it now, I realize, and, and maybe I should say as an aside to all, to anybody listening or watching and to all of you that I'm pretty sure that you all can frame some experience in your life that you can connect to what I'm about to say and it will make sense to you. But when I look back on it now, it makes the fact that I had an experience with a turtle as a little boy and that it stuck with me and was of interest makes perfect sense in the context of the man that I subsequently became. And I, and I realize now that there was a continuum, there is a continuum, I guess as long as I'm you know, around, there will be that continuum. Um, and that it, it isn't accurate to say um, you know, that, it, that it was a snapshot. It's more like a movie, right? So engagement with the natural world and with these kinds of things is a reflection of our consciousness and of our sophistication, of our sensitivity, of our intelligence, and it evolves over time. I, I dedicated this book to my ninth grade biology teacher who uh, is the person that arguably set me on the path that I'm on to choose a religion that in, in some sense is a worship of the natural world. That's not exactly accurate, but for now we'll say that it is. So, so when I was nine years old, I was canoeing on a river in Connecticut and I, I saw this little painted turtle and I tried to use the, um, the paddle, you know, as a little boy, so I want to catch it. I tried to use the, the paddle to get it, but it kept, you know, evading me and jumping off the paddle before I could get the paddle back in the canoe. And um, and I chased it around with the, with the canoe a little bit until I finally caught it in some, you know, shallows and duckweed and whatnot. But what, what occurred to me at the moment that I picked it up out of the water with my hand was that right at this second, that turtle is looking up out of the water at me and the world. But a second ago, it was under the water and it was looking down at a world that I will never know, a world to which I have no access, a world that, in which I cannot live. And that that lucky bastard had two worlds, right? He had the ability to see everything at the surface and above, but also below. and. That was just about the time in my life where I was becoming aware of the fact that I also wanted to see below the surface of my life. I wanted to understand things about the way the world worked and what reality was, who I was, where I was, what, what all this is about, that I did not understand and was not being taught in school or in, in Sunday school or in any other 
or by my family or parents or grandparents or anybody, but I was hungry for it. And this, this little creature, it was, you know, a little painted turtle, probably, you know, just a few inches long. That little creature became in my mind somehow what it still is today, which is emblematic of an ability to see both above and below the surface of life. I love it. I just feel connected to you because the story took place in Connecticut. Is that bad? It did. Just saying. And I, I think one thing, one of the reasons I enjoy our talk so much is talking about the idea of the mor morality of what we do. I have a, an unfinished book that I was writing, not, not to impress you or anything, but um, an unfinished book that I was writing. It's 44 <laughs> Word document pages, single-spaced, okay? No, no cheating, no college essay cheating with double-spaced. And uh, basically just on my ideas of like the morality, the, what I was calling it was the morality of turtle keeping. And that's a book that's a 44 page document that I will never finish most likely, but it just goes to show how many thoughts there are kind of swimming around in my head, pun intended. And, um, that's something that I know you think about a lot and you yourself keep some turtles. Can you speak to that a little bit and your thoughts on that? Yes. Before I do, let me say two things about what you just said though. Sure. Number one, uh, I would like to read that 44 pages, that document and you want to share it. I would um, love to. And, 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 uh, and, and don't, don't give up contributing to it, and maybe someday we'll uh, I'll help you get it published if you want to do that. So that's one thing. Second thing is you don't need to impress me. You don't have to worry about impressing me because any guy who is as short and diminutive as you and able to find <laughs> way to maintain this large presence is impressive just by yourself. You don't have to worry about any more impression. Just say that. Yeah. I can't stop smiling. Aww. I'm trying to. It's cute. I'm he's got the biggest rush. Just so you're aware. <laughs> it's kind of an in joke, you know, because. Yeah. But anyway, all right. Um, he called me today and told me how nervous he was about he's seeing you on air again. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So for those people who are who are watching it, I'm making a joke because Anthony is actually a very very tall person. So um, the 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 morality of this is uh, is a very difficult subject. Um, and it's one that I wrestle with. I think it's probably fair to say on some, some level on a daily basis. Um, the idea that we can take a living sentient being out of its habitat, and hopefully we are not doing that. Um, we, we are not removing anything from its habitat. But the idea that we can deprive a sentient being of its native natural habitat and keep it in a, in a, in a, in a Rubbermaid tub or a busing tub or, or, or tank of some kind um, is morally very questionable to me. And maybe, you know, you, you mentioned that I keep some turtles and I do, not many, uh, 
not nearly probably as many um, as many people listening to this or watching it. But, or us, yeah. Or, or definitely not any of you. Uh, <laughs> by comparison, I keep nothing, actually. Um, but, but the animals that I do keep, I have connected to my own uh, intersection in the world with, with the natural world, which is to say that I, I, I have only Asian species that come from places that I have frequented or continue to frequent virus aside. And, and I know, because I've been there repeatedly, that the amount of natural habitat left for them to survive in, where they will not be picked up for food, poisoned, um, uh, developed out of a habitat, uh, and so on, is, is th their chances of survival, sadly, in that environment are so slim that I am not transgressing as greatly as I might be if I went and picked up a, a spotted turtle from you know, a, a, a pond in Connecticut or something. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I mean, I justify this, and, and I'm using the word justify because I'm, I'm aware that it smells a little bit like that. I, I justify this by, in my own life now, and this is certainly not true, but, and this isn't a, you know, a, a redemptive admission that I try to make in the, in the, the book Turtle Planet, where I chronicle my misdeeds and the number of species that I've interacted with either as a zookeeper or in my own home, which is sadly not a small number of species, um, you know, a third of the species in the world or something like that. Uh, so now I, I, looking at things a different way and also living in a different world, because the world in which I started 50 years ago, you know, this was much less of a critical issue. Turtles were not endangered the way they are today. You know, we have to evolve in so many ways. Um, right now, while we're recording this, we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 catastrophe. And one thing that's happening is that we are evolving, whether we like it or not, by a force of nature acting on us. We're evolving our social behaviors, we're evolving our technology, we're evolving our commercial habits were evolving our immune systems you know this is just nature having its way with us and so too it is with with turtles as the world changes if we're paying attention we also must evolve in the way that we regard them and treat them and so everybody you know that we're talking to tonight i believe is interested in conservation is interested in propagation and captive breeding and studying these animals and understanding them better but 50 years ago you know or more when i was a little boy you know nobody cared about that go out and collect as many turtles as you want and guess what there were plenty to collect uh, but you know things have changed and so must we i have an anonymous comment from someone who would like to know if you're in the FTI. If I'm what? Okay, sorry. <laughs> My wife thinks that you're in the FBI. And what? I'm in the FBI? Let me tell you why, because this goes into something else that I wanted to talk about. Sorry. She doesn't get to, she's, she hasn't picked up any of your books yet. 
she hasn't watched either of the podcasts that we've had you on yet. So she hears me talk about the monk and she doesn't get it. And she's like, no, you don't. There's not some monk that you're talking to who's talking to you about turtles all the time. Like it's definitely an FBI, FBI agent who's trying to set you up. This is what she thinks, but she's paranoid. That's how she is in general. So it's okay. She's behind my computer right now, staring at me well, smiling. I guess my oh, friends yeah. in alphabet agencies will take this as a great compliment. But so let, let, let me say let me say this, because this is a great um, great segue to something that I asked you to uh, make a sticky note about, and that is yeah right exactly. Right, uh -huh. right? This is the great fun um, of meeting some really interesting people. So I. You know, I've been trying to decide whether we meet interesting people because we, we, let me rephrase it, we find the people that we meet to be interesting because they are vibrating, you know, in some level or some way that is congruent with our own vibration. And so, you know, we like to be around people who think about some of the same things and care about some of the same things. So I, I give you, I'll, let me go off on this tangent to sort of make that point, and then I'll come right back to turtles. But, you know, I, I have this uh, other interest, which is not nearly as fully developed or as anywhere near a big part of my life, but it is, uh, it is an interest. So for 40 years or so, I have been an avid target shooter. Uh, and, and I very much like to, you know, take a rifle and try to put, I only shoot little 22 stuff, so I like to, you know, go out with a with a air gun or a, or a 22. I like to go out and see if I can put multiple bullets through the same hole at 100 yards, which is, you know, for a man in my condition, uh, a very hard thing to do. And the reason that I like this has nothing to do with violence, with gun culture. Uh, with paranoia, uh, with actually it doesn't have to do with anything except that I'm a bit ADHD and when I am doing that activity, I am in meditation. So the whole world constricts down to that little view of, of uh, you know, a, a rifle scope and everything else disappears. And so the num limited number of people that I've met um, with whom I talk about target shooting are all people who, are, who respond not to the fact that I have a rifle, but they respond to the fact that I'm interested in meditation. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is that somehow in that, what other people would think of as a strange weirdo thing for a monk in gun culture, and how can you have a rifle? I've managed to find the microcosm of people who also find shooting like that to be a meditative exercise. And I link it to my martial arts practice, which is part of my Taoist umbrella. So now I come back to something that happened today. Um, I have some other exotic pets. Uh, I have some Mexican hairless dogs. And I have these dogs for the same reason that I originally had turtles, which is that I like dogs, I like pets, I like animals, but I have allergies. And the dogs don't make me sneeze. Other, they have no hair, so they hold no 
dander and the dander is where the, you know, the saliva proteins that make you allergic to dogs are found. So anyway, they're, they're more or less hypoallergenic. And so, you know, over the last 30 years, I've, I've been keeping these little Mexican hairless dogs and I put a cute photo up on Instagram yesterday of five little puppies that I have now. Um, I wasn't looking to sell them. It wasn't a commercial venture. I have people that want these puppies, but I put a cute little, you know, Instagram thing like puppies of Instagram out. So I get this guy and he, he writes me. He says, you know, I'm really interested. Are any of those puppies available? And for some reason I say, uh, not really, but you know, if you want to talk about it, private message me. So he private messages me and I end up on the telephone with him. And it turns out, I'm not going to say his name, but it turns out that he is a professor of archaeology, specializing in Mexican cultures, which worship this dog. And that he is a Star Wars freak who sees a Taoist master as Yoda and a Jedi master. And after an hour on the phone with this guy, completely out of the clear blue sky, just because of the dog connection, like we are the turtle connection now, an animal exotic thing. I, I decided I, this guy's going to have one of my puppies. And he's going to drive from far away. Again, I don't want to ID him, but he's going to drive from far away to pick it up in, in a couple weeks um, because I want him to have one. And he might even take two because he wants to have Chewbacca and Han Solo. And one of, the, <laughs> one of my hairless dogs has hair. So I guess I'm trying to make the point that, you know, this kind of joyous interaction around things that we care about that brings all of us together on this podcast yep. is a really big piece of why do a book like this and why keep turtles and why be an enthusiast like Chris who's, you know, produces these beautiful tortoises or, or any of the, or any of the rest of you who are doing this kind of work. And there is something that is enormously energizing and enjoyable about this community. And it, to me is a great, uh, it makes my life better. I, I want to just touch on that real quick there, because that's what, you know, First of all, the, the whole Star Wars thing just blew my mind <laughs> in, in a very good way. But the fact that you brought up the, the positivity behind a community, you know, um, and, and people that share a passion or a compassion like this and what you what you get out of that. And I think that that's something that has been so lost, you know, uh, in, in mainly recent years as social media has gotten to such a ridiculous level. That I think, and I, you know, Anthony knows. Like I, I have vented to him so many different times about, you know, the the poor aspects of of the community and the the, the tough guys behind the keyboard and and you know, the a lo just a lot of neg negative aspects that come up from it. But the fact that what originally brought us all together was this this warming positive feeling, just from finding these people that share this little niche passion that you have but then when you look when you you know befriend this person and then you know you start going down the line and befriending more people you find out just how big the community is so i th i think what i take away from that is and it's something that i really needed to hear because sometimes you know the you know being exposed to such a big community can bring you down because of the negative aspects of it it's really great to hear something like that because that's so true and and that like your painted turtle story and that just put me back you know, to when I was five years old. 
Okay. And, and I'm, I'm sitting in my backyard and my, and I'm playing with GI Joe's and the next minute my, my, the lawnmower stops. My, my father's mowing the lawn. He's the lawnmower stops. He curses about something. And next minute he comes walking over with a box turtle. And that moment, you know, set the stage for the rest of my life and then opened the door for me to meet people like you guys, you know? So there, there's just, there is a lot of, especially in the, the current state of the world and the current state of what turtles face, you know, globally, there is a lot of positive to come from that, from the community. So I'm, I'm just personally, I'm glad that you, what, what you just said there, that, that just really hit a nerve for me. So I, I hope it got other people too. For us, it makes it really. You guys are all young guys, and and when I look at you, I think that I was probably liking you know turtles before any of you were born, actually, and and I think that the perspective that I have on this question and this observation now is that although there are still people who commoditize the animals, um, people who just use them as a way to make a living, which is a strange choice, honestly, but okay. Um, uh, or who disregard them and think of them as objects, that the percentage of people in what we would now call the fancy or the business, and those two things clearly intersect, is so much lower than it was 50 years ago. And you, you guys may or may not, forgive me if you already well have this perspective in hand, I don't know you all well enough to know. But if you don't have that perspective, um, you know, from the standpoint of turtles globally, it, it may not admittedly be enough and we want to work for better and for more. But I can say that, you know, just to have people who care enough to stop and get a turtle off the road instead of driving their truck over it. So just to hear it go pop. This is this is a a huge evolution in consciousness and from an evolutionary point of view, and I trained you know, years ago as an evolutionary biologist, this is a very rapid shift. And I'm you know, gratified to see it. That's wonderful. Yeah, we, I even see it on a daily basis point. around here. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Anthony. Uh, you can go ahead, Kev, please. I was just gonna I'm say like, yeah, for instance, like, if I go down and visit Chris, uh, he's close to New Jersey. There's signs everywhere, signs that I believe he's putting up or somebody, you know, someone else. Uh, we but tried. Even around, they were all stolen. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, though. So, yeah. <laughs> even around me, I see signs here in where I live in Milford, Connecticut. And that surprises me because they're in areas where I wouldn't suspect to see them. Uh, but it's, it's great. The people are having the foresight to put that out to save even one animal for a minute, you know? Yeah. Where I was going to go, I think it can be really daunting, really challenging, really depressing sometimes to see what we see. I often comment all the time that, you know, the cast, the classified ads are the most, the most public account of who we are and what we do. And that's really sad because that's not really who we are. Um, so Chris is right. He, he talks to me all the time, sometimes complains to me about social media comments i've had my share fair share of youtube comments that just make me want to would make me want to pull my hair out if i had any and <laughs> it's tough but then i have to remind myself you know of all the beautiful things in life of everyone every one of you guys here and my conversation with you you know when we met at starbucks the first time 
really the only time we met in per- uh, person because we live across the country from each other. But, you know, I'm just going to meet this guy, you know, seems pretty cool on the phone. We talk briefly. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, and then we sit down and we have like a three hour conversation and I don't want to leave. It was wonderful. Um, that's that's why we do it. Right. And it becomes as much about that as it is about the animals, but being able to share in something really special. And, and for that, as, as scary as the world is today, it's a beautiful thing that we can do that because okay. you would have been meeting people maybe at a reptile expo, but it was different years ago, maybe at a herb society meeting, maybe at a pet store. Um, but, you know, the access that we have now that, you know, a monk in Arizona can become friends and that with someone in the Northeast and that that friendship can grow in a short amount of time is, is a pretty wonderful thing. And where weird get togethers can happen, like a Bishop and a monk talking about turtles. That was a recent one that I absolutely love that you were telling me about. <laughs> yeah. So there is, first of all, thank you for your kind words. And, and I feel the same way. And, and I, before I get to the bishop, let me, because that really is funny. Um, let, let, me, let me just say that the other piece of the conviviality, the energetic connection, the compassion, um, you know, I, I keep coming back to the word energy because, and I used to never, ever talk. I, I always like rolled my eyes when I heard that word. It always felt new agey and, and um, unscientific to me. And, and I didn't like it. And now I, I, I don't know, somehow I, I see that that is probably the thing that I, that I think about and I'm aware of most. But, you know, I, I, in the morning I, I keep my, on account of the fact that I have these puppies, I had to use my turtle room um, uh, briefly uh, so that my home didn't become a urinarium, um, and, and uh, so I, I've moved. I've moved some of my turtles onto the kitchen counter. I have a forbearing wife, and um, uh, so you know, I come in in the morning. I say, "Good morning, babies," and you know, I walk by, and they're all stick their heads out and looking at me. And my wife says, "You know, you're, you're you know, you're talking to your turtles, right?" And, and I say, "Oh yeah." And they know exactly what I'm saying. And I pick, you know, I'll pick up a flavo and I, you know, I'll hold him in one hand and, you know, feed him in the other. I'll do that with the pan eye, which you say are so shy. And uh, so um, I think that there is also some interactivity. And I know you wanted to talk about this uh, mm-hmm. too. Um, there is some interactivity which is healing and important for us as a way of being in touch with the natural world and with another form of intelligence and that creating that sensitivity and awareness increases our intelligence and uh, puts us in a better place on the planet. So, okay, uh, about the about the bishop, um, I did see an ad for some uh, turtle species that was of interest to me and I got in touch with the gentleman and uh, Anthony, you knew him, so you gave me a little bit of background said that you thought he was also a, a clergyman. So I, I mentioned in my um, text messaging back and forth with this gentleman, I mentioned that he, I'd heard he was a, a clergyman. He said, yeah, you know, I'm a Catholic bishop. And, 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 I, and I froze at the, at the typewriter and I thought, I am a 
Taoist monk currently engaged in some negotiation to purchase turtles from a Catholic bishop who would like to sell them to. And what kind of a world, what has happened here? How is it possible that, that a bishop is trying to hawk some turtles to a monk who's interested? And I thought, you know, nobody would ever, ever, ever believe this. And I told this to some of my, you know, devout Catholic friends. And they said, no, come on. I said, no, really? It's true. Anyway, we we got a big we got a big laugh out of it, but it does show, you know, that there's really something to these little creatures. Yeah, that's <laughs> like the start like a, of a joke. Maybe yes. it shows that exactly the start of a joke. Yeah, the start so, of a joke. Did the you monk. hear the one about the uh, bishop trying to sell a turtle to the monk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we gotta write. I gotta write the rest of that. I gotta figure out the rest of that so we can use it. Yeah, it's so, the start so of your next book. Start of my next book. So I think I think now after that, which I think is. Terrific, obviously. Uh, we're going to transition to our first feature, and we're going to get our features. That's what we've been working on is kind of some open discussion and then reining in with the features. And this is something new. This is the first time doing this with a guest on. So. Minto's Mailbag. The first feature is Minto's Mailbag, as you just saw. So Minto, of course, being Mr. Kevin up there. Uh, question, question from the mailbag? Yeah, so uh, this week I only got one question in the mailbag, and it's actually essentially the same question we were planning on answering about best taxa later on, so I'm going to hold that for that. But I did get one question from the chat so far, and it's from uh, Andrew over at Arizona Tortoise Compound. Uh, and the question was, how did your ninth grade teacher help you on the path towards Buddhism? Ah, so, uh, right. Um I realize now belatedly that I, I forgot to invite him to listen to this. So I know he's reading the book right now, but I'll send him a link later. Um, he, he lives in, in upstate New York now. Um, so just to clarify, I'm not actually on the Buddhist path because I'm not a Buddhist. I'm a Taoist, um, but it is another Eastern religion and there is some overlap and similarity, I suppose. Um, and I would not say that he, uh, in, he put me on... Well, he didn't put me on the path to Buddhism because I'm not there. But uh, how did he put me on the path to Taoism? Um, he was a very ardent conservationist. And he went on to become a professor, a field researcher, a biologist. And he worked with mountain gorillas and other things in the field in Africa. Um, but he was sort of in, he was a 20... I don't know what he was, 23 or four year old kid when he was teaching me and I was a 14 year old or whatever that I was at that age. Um, so, you know, there was there was not that much between us, really. But those 10 years, as we all know, are critical 10 years in who we are. And, you know, he was the one who talked in awestruck tones about the cloud forests of Costa Rica and what was happening to the amphibians there and being little dark frogs being collected. And he showed me slides. You all remember slides from 35 millimeter, you know, cameras and all that before digital. Um, and, and, you know, his care and compassion for the natural world, which included, and I, I should say this because I think it's notable, it included the interests of indigenous peoples. It wasn't only for the animals. It was a very sophisticated, balanced, harmonious view of the natural system. He was an ecologist. And at that time, 
you know, ecology was a new field. So just the idea that one could scientifically examine the way nature worked in systems and where a frog fit into a system, where a turtle fit into a larger system of which it was a part, that sort of scientific synthesis was new in the West. And it was only, you know, 10 years later or more that I discovered that it was not new in the East. And that that idea of a system of which we were a part and the animals were a part had already existed for thousands of years. I just didn't know it. And it had a different name and it was spoken in a different language, but the concept was all there. That's why I see him as, as the one who sent me on this path. I hope that makes sense as an answer. That's wonderful. Um, can you can you speak a little bit to, and I, I wanna to continue to get into the features, but I, I have to ask, can you speak a little bit to just what it's like in Southeast Asia from, I would consider you a citizen of the world, but originally coming from the Western world as you were talking about, and then what you were able to find there. I see a lot of really nasty rhetoric around how people, particularly in China, treat wild animals. Um, and China has a huge population and, you know, it's, it's complicated. Right. And I think people don't really realize that. And there's there's different people with different viewpoints, just like there is here. You know, not not everyone voted for Donald Trump and. Right. That sort of so, thing. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I do in Turtle Planet, I, I, I set a few of my stories, uh, my fables. In in East Asia and Southeast Asia, too kind of give some nuance to this answer. And so I hope people will read it in the book. Um, the virus right now is causing a sea change. It's forcing a sea change. Whether that sea change lasts and takes hold is anybody's guess. I wouldn't venture to predict, really. Um, uh, in the way that wildlife is treated. But I, I, I wanna be a little bit careful not to lump uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia together, because although there are many things that draw them together, specifically around the trade in wildlife, meaning that people in Southeast Asia go and catch turtles and sell them to the Chinese, um, but but there's there's a vast cultural abyss between uh, you know the the culture of the Cantonese culture of, of Southeast China and the culture of Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, uh, Laos, Cambodia, and so on. And, and, and you know, they're, they're completely different peoples. Um, they are completely different history. And, of course, you know, is there some historic uh, cross-pollination through military and political campaigns and so on? Yes, yes, but, you know, way beyond the scope of our conversation. So let me, let me just say that um, what's happening is that this is a very population-dense part of the world, by which I mean human population. And it's tropical. And people are farming and developing and destroying habitat at a startling rate. We hear more about the Amazon, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, 
but the rate of development and deforestation uh, and pollution and population growth in Southeast Asia and East Asia is also a gigantic problem, particularly for the turtles. So um, what, what you see is that people who have no livelihood are very compelled by the price they can get for a little turtle. They can't feed their family, they're very poor, but if they go off and find a, uh, some kind of puara and they can sell it to somebody who sells it to a Chinese person in a market, they can make a living. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm very reluctant to indict that kind of activity because who am I to judge? Right. I, I live a privileged, uh, you know, I live a privileged life by, by comparison and by most measures. Um, and, and I don't have to worry about catching a turtle in the woods to feed my family. Right. So, so I'm, I'm very, I find, and, and I really think that this goes back to the, the question in the inbox about my teacher, because I got this, um, this moral sensitivity and discomfort um, to this question of the, the rights and interests of human beings versus the rights and interests of other sentient beings back, you know, in the 1970s from this teacher. And, you know, now I've, I've pursued this in a religious and moral and philosophical way. But, you know, the kind of un discomfort at seeing um, something we can call morality that I think every one of us can agree upon, regardless of your religious or philosophical background, is when you see someone or something in a position of power exerting his or her or its will over something that lacks power, you notice this. So whether this is, you know, um, some creep beating up his girlfriend, uh, somebody, you know, beating up their kid or worse, um, or somebody taking advantage of a helpless uh, turtle, you know, and running over it to hear a tire pop. Um, when, when you see this kind of thing, regardless of your moral or, or uh, ethnic background, um, most people recognize that they're seeing something offensive and wrong. And, and so, you know, what's happening in East Asia and Southeast Asia is very hard, you know, to judge. You can't, if you enter it, if you enter the fray from the point of view of, I want to judge this and put a stop to this, you know, you're, you're doomed to failure, you, you have to have a more nuanced view. And although I, listen, I, I admit that there are times when I just wanna put a stop to it. Um, you know, something that I do when I go to Southeast Asia is I go to markets. I do this in Thailand, Laos, Cambodia. I go to markets and I find people selling turtles and I buy them for pennies a few bucks maybe. And then I take them and I go to appropriate habitat and I release them. And, and I do this as monk compassion work, even though I completely understand that A, they may just be caught again. I try to find places where they won't, but I have no guarantee. B, that I am fueling demand for them in the market by doing that, right? 
I mean, this is a moral conundrum. And so it comes down to this compassion question because these things get so complicated in the end that you can't work every angle to everything. And you have to just at some point make a decision, okay, is there a compassionate action that I can do regardless of its consequences and my inability to predict what those might be? So when I see a turtle in a market, you know, that's about to be made into soup, I exercise the compassionate action. I go and I buy the turtle for a dollar, whatever it is. Malayamese, you know, uh, snail eaters. Recently, I found some of those, sometimes quora. And, and I, just, I just go and release them because I, I cannot control everything else that might happen as a result of what I do or, you know, that might go awry. All I can say is it's going to be made into soup. I would like to save its life, so I'm going to do that. And I do it completely aware of how fruitless it may be on some larger level. But the fact that I take this compassionate action to me makes a difference in the world. And if I put it up on Instagram and people see me doing that, maybe they think about, right. you know, turtles differently. Right. You, you said, um, no, go ahead, Kev. Please, no, after you. Um, you brought up an interesting point about um, either Southeast Asia or uh, East, Asia, East Asia, where you said, um, you know, some of these people are very unfortunate. Um, they can't feed their families, but if they go into the woods and they happen upon a cora or other, you know, endangered species, they can feed their family um, by selling it to the markets. And um, I think the, the situation is very similar in Madagascar. And I won't name this person, but um, at the Turtle Survival Alliance conference back in 2016, you know, granted, there were several talks about the 10,000-plus seizure of uh, the radiated tortoises there. And, um, you know, people were so angry. And you had two different sides to it. Uh, not sides to it, but two different opinions of it. And some of them were along the lines of what you said, where some of these people, you know, you have to cool your jets for a minute and think of how unfortunate some of these families are. And that's why they're grabbing these radiated tortoises uh, or even the plowshares. Now, now, not the, I think those 10,000 were destined for the pet trade, but some of these locals that cannot feed their families, they're saving their children's lives by taking the life of a, a, a few dozen tortoises, maybe. And, you know, that's where the, um, it complicates things, you know, because you're talking about such a, a disastrously poor country um, where it's local people are relying on the local wildlife to keep their children alive. But then you have other opinions and a, a per, certain individual came right up to me and was talking to me about this and said that if they could get to Madagascar, that they would, they would put a bullet in these people that are killing these tortoises to feed their family. So it, 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 it brings up a very, uh, controversial, but, um, interesting way of looking at things is some people they they're they're you know the horse blinders are on and and we as humans tend to do that with, with anything you know it could be something positive could be something negative but you know you have to stop and think about that the uh, why some of these people are going to that extreme we spoke so, about this today to, um earlier today um you know and and the the fact that things are complicated there are always multiple sides, sometimes many 
different perspectives on each one of these issues. And that's what makes it so difficult. That's what makes it so difficult when people on opposite sides of the aisle continue to argue about what's the best course of action in a complicated issue. Um, so using that as a transition to getting to our next feature, which is pit and peak, talking about the positive and the negative, how complicated things can be. Sometimes you're trying to do something right and it's not going right. Sometimes you're trying to do everything you can and it just doesn't come together. My daughter's in the background screaming for me. I don't know if you can hear this. So, um, so I wanted to ask, go ahead, Yunro, if you have something. I, want, I just, if you don't mind, I, I, yeah. there's something really burning uh, uh, before we completely abandon that last subject because of I course, think it's Of course, of course, forgive me. There was one final thought that Chris's comment brought up for me, but I think it's like maybe the most important thought of the whole thing. At least it seems so to me, so I want to share it and then and I'm done on that. Um, yes, I'm aware about of things in Madagascar and, and also other places. And I, I want to say that I'm not sure that I should have characterized people in these circumstances as unfortunate, because I, I'm not sure that an Aboriginal lifestyle or a lifestyle which involves interfacing with the natural world in a way that is much grittier and, and more earthy than, you know, our condo, uh, you know, mansion, uh, uh, urban life is, is appropriate. I'm, I'm reluctant to make that judgment, honestly. Um, I, I, those words came out of my mouth, but I thought about them afterwards and thought, yeah, I don't know if I want to say that. They're unfortunate, that may just be something that their culture has embraced, like uh, Inuits killing whales or whatever. That, that mm -hmm. You know, and the thing that has shifted is not the people and not the turtles. The thing that has shifted is the global context in which those behaviors and traditions exist. And those people cannot be held responsible for the fact that around the world we have populated and, and grown in such a the human population has so destroyed the planet that what they were doing for thousands of years is no longer okay. And that's not their fault. Sadly. Right. Right. So they're not the big consumers and the ones that are having 20 kids and all the rest of it. So, so I want to say that. The second thing that I, I want to leave with is, is this um, moral responsibility question, because this is something I wrote about in the manifesto, and I cannot remember really if I reiterated it in Turtle Planet. A pet peeve of mine is the way we sell each other and human beings so short that we engage something that is euphemistically called enlightened self-interest. And enlightened self-interest is a way that I see some uh, of our modern speed and greed culture framing our behavior towards each other. And it says something like, do the right thing because it's going to benefit you in some way. That guy that you know, that you just... Uh, picked up after he fell off his bike and he's bleeding on the sidewalk and you go over to him and say, can I help you? Are you okay? Do you need a doctor? Do you want me to call 911? You know, the fact that you stopped and got out to help him, maybe he's a tire salesman. And boy, you know, sometimes you might, someday you're going to need some tires for your car and he'll remember that you did him this good turn and you'll get a cheap price on some tires. Mm -hmm. Right. In other words, the spinning of the idea of karma or consequences or morality, that we do the right thing because someday it's going to come back to us. This, I have to tell you, as even as a non-Buddhist, is a perversion of what 
karma means in Buddhism. Um, and, and it is a very ugly selling short of each other. You know, we don't do the right thing, whether it's saving the turtle's life or helping the, the people who don't have food for their family. We don't do the right thing be, because we're, we think, you know, oh, somebody's going to see me and I'll get on YouTube or something. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't do the right thing because you think you're going to profit from it somehow. You do the right, and, and to, to conduct ourselves that way and talk to each other that way about doing the right thing, whatever that may be. And sometimes the right thing is not clear. But anyway, the motivation to do the right thing, or what you think is the right thing, it, it's very, very cynical and ugly to always bring this back to, you know, what is, what's in it for me. Mm. I, just, I just wanted to make that point before we move on to the pits and peaks. It's a, it's a great point. It's a very real point. So now we're at the pit and peak. And, and as I said um, earlier, we, we went over this for us two weeks ago. So we wanted to leave this for our guest because I, I think, oh, Steve, you got something? Should I shush? Yeah? Okay. All right. He's telling me to go. That's all right. He's there, everyone. You can't see him, but he's there. We're working through this stuff. We're, work we're not professionals. We're working on it, folks. Um, so... A lot of what we hear from other people, a lot of what we see on social media, which is the biggest platform for sharing information these days, there's no more forums, which is what uh, people from our group here kind of grew up on. Um, unfortunately, they're, they're not popular anymore. Most are defunct. So you're seeing everything on social media. And there's this whole thing with social media where everyone is sharing positive things all the time. So we like to talk about the positive, of course, but we also like to talk about the struggles because I think that's where we really connect and where our partnerships really are. I can tell you from experience and just from what I know from others, as soon as something really bad happens, you contact one of your friends and ask them their thoughts, try to bring everything together and make some sense of it as you try to deal with, with that sort of thing. Um, I know I had a, an issue where I thought I killed my turtles by feeding <laughs> them bleached worms last week. And I called Chris immediately and like, what am I gonna do? I accidentally dumped some diluted bleach outside and then all these worms came up and I was so excited because they came up because of the water. Had all these free worms, not realizing that I just bleached them all. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, it was a bad moment. I don't normally dump bleach in around. But that was, was a fun. A I mean, that was a fun conversation. I, I felt terrible, I was, but that was. A I fun was freaking out. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine, by the way. And I didn't bleach the worms. It was raining. There was a ton of water. Yeah. Anyway, point being, I went right to Chris and said, "Dude, you got to help me because he has." A lot of experience before. <laughs> yeah, with a lot more experience than I have, and I'm sure he would have. I was positive you must have bleached worms at some point. <laughs> anyway, so you and Ro, uh, tell us about something that's going really well for you in your turtle work or, or elsewhere. So, I, I really am having um, quite good luck um, with Core as a genus. Um, and, uh, I view them as simple and hardy. Um, uh, yeah, there's one. Uh, I view them as simple and hardy and easy, but I, I guess they're not. Um, mm -hmm. and, and at least not, not all of them and not for everybody. And I, I've, you know, I've lost a couple over the years, but, um, maybe they got to me sick or whatever, but, uh, generally, 
I find that I, I, I'm, I figured, I, I get them, I think is, is what the, um, is, is the right phrase, right? I, I get them. I get what they need. I get what to do with them. I understand, um, you know, the nuances of little things. You know, I, I, I do things like um, I use a soft, very soft toothbrush. Um, I, I use a, it's something called a radius toothbrush, which is like a nine or ten dollar toothbrush, kind of ridiculous, but but it, it's much better shape for the purpose than like a little regular toothbrush, and and I I clean them sometimes when I when I'm changing their water, I very gently brush them, and I found that they some of them were getting a little fungus here and there on the shell, or you know just very minor stuff, and that that completely stopped after I, I just give them a little gentle brushing. I want to make sure that we, we don't get carried away. So I'm not, I'm not brushing hard on, uh, on in, seams between scutes or making anybody bleed. Or I mean, We're not talking about that kind of brushing. Just talking about basically keeping the animal clean because they're not out in the sunshine. So the antibacterial and antiviral effects of UV light are not operating on them. Um, but, you know, and, I, and I, I get their omnivorous appetites for all kinds of different greens and they get a wide variety of things whatever whatever it is that i'm doing with them uh and i, I don't have so many but i have a few different species um is is really really working and they are thriving like crazy um so uh i i, I view that you know as as a peak that's wonderful. And that's part of the reason why you and I get along so well is, is our affinity for Asian turtles, particularly Asian box turtles. Um, so how about the, how about the pit? What do you, let's air out all the dirty laundry here. So, you know, I, I had a, a few years ago now, uh, yeah, there's a nice picture of some pen. I, I had a, um, I had a really terrible experience with, um, uh, with Burmese, uh, star tortoises and um it was very sad for me so here's a picture of me uh, i was i was in myanmar in burma a few years ago and i asked the guy that was driving me around um i showed him some picture on my phone i said hey can you find show me one of these and he takes me into sort of a forested area and i think he's he knows where I'm going to find uh, one of these tortoises. And instead, he drives me right up to the conservation center, which is well hidden, um, which is a joint effort of the uh, Myanmar government and uh, WCS and uh, TSA. And um, I believe it's TSA. And, uh, and they have you know some thousands of these there. And I get out and I talk to the people. I introduce myself and they give me a tour. Uh, and, and there I am holding a, a beautiful big girl. Um, and I thought, well, I was still living in Florida then, and I thought this would be a, um, an interesting species to work with. So I identified a breeder, and um, I spent quite a lot of money, actually, buying um, uh, a population of these to raise. And, um, and they all just died quickly and without warning, um, leading me to believe that I had imported some pathogen, um, which was, I, I just had never had such a turtle holocaust in my life. Um, you know, they, they lasted a week. 
they would be eating and their, their feces looked normal and everything looked normal and their activity was normal. And in the morning they were just dead. Um, and, and I, I don't want to identify the breeder because I never, uh, I never was able to identify if there was a pathogen, but as a 50 year keeper, um, you know, basically, I mean, there's a picture of how I was keeping the guys and they were chowing down and everybody was doing great. And then in the span of two to three weeks, every single one of them died. Um, and it was a financial, uh, sentimental and moral blow. Um, happens. And none of my other turtles got sick. And now, in fairness, I was pretty good at isolating, but, you know, nobody else got sick. I had other turtles. Not, I lost no other turtles. I only lost those turtles. And I went back to the breeder who just said, well, you know, you screwed up. I said, well, is it possible that you, know, you, you sold me turtles that were sick? He said, no, not possible. Nobody else's are dying. Mine are good. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, I, I, there was nothing really to do. Um, but it was disastrous. Wow. Did that change anything for you in terms of what you're willing to work with in the future? Uh, how you're willing to work with people in the future? That sort of thing? Well, I would say that, you know, that turtle was inappropriate for the Arizona environment. Yeah. have to, you know, do uh, indoor setups that I wouldn't want to do uh, for them. But um, I, I'm not revisiting that species as much as I like it. Um, so I guess it, it um, soured me on them. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not defending that as a rational decision. I, I'm just mm. not going to do it. Um, and, and then uh, it, it also, it made me more likely to dip my toe than go all in. And, you know, uh, when you've been keeping turtles this long, even if you buy a dozen uh, specimens of something, you know, honestly, after 50 plus years, that doesn't seem like, you know, I'm already all in, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's not like I'm, I'm trying to decide, you know, do I like this pair of shoes? And I want to see, I want to wear this brand of shoes for a week to, or, or a month before I know how my feet feel instead of going and buying 20 pairs of them or something. I'm, I'm not... You know, it's not like that. Um, it, it, it just, um, I'm aware of the greater nuance between the different species and their requirements and my ability to uh, predict or sense what those requirements might be, even though I feel like I've read or talked to people and all that. Having the direct experience of the husbandry is different than read. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a great point too about not jumping right in. Obviously, with the with the Burmese scars, you did. You bought a group of totally small animals, had a plan to grow them up over time. I'm going to dedicate the next 10, 15, 20 years to this project before I see any right. You know, and all money because they were still you know quite yeah. expensive. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Wow. Well, we can all tell you stories too where we've been there as well. Um, we won't because of time. Yeah, you know. Um, thank you for sharing that. Oh, Anthony. Um, yeah. This morning we talked about that. And I said that, you know, for those of us who are in this fancy, and, uh, you know, the possibility that we're going to suddenly lose animals we don't expect to lose um, reminds me of my, my many years as an ardent motorcyclist. 
Um, and I, I was a, a contributing editor to motorcycle magazines, and I rode a lot of bikes, and I raced some bikes and all that. Uh, mostly a street rider. And, um, and we had a saying, those of us who took and taught the Motorcycle Safety Foundation classes, you know, we would tell people who are new to motorcycling that there are three kinds of motorcyclists, right? Uh, those who are going down, those who have been down, and those who are going down again. And, and I'm going to apply that to, you know, losing turtles, sadly. You know, it's the same thing. There are those of us who are are going to lose some turtles, those of us who have lost some turtles, and those of us who are going to lose some turtles again. So are we all the latter of the three? I feel like we are. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is definitely the latter of the three. I don't know. You can make the argument. If you don't work well, at Yeah, you know, when you get confiscations, forget it. You know, you're, pretty much, you're pretty much just, you know, holding those things until, you know, well, you know. You know we, get in, we can get into that another day. We could do a whole show on that, too, with a bunch of people writing and saying, stop complaining, Chris, you're getting free turtles. And you being like, no, you don't understand. It's, yeah, not, fun. it's, not, it's not free turtles. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, you know, All right, well, let's but see. That's, that's your life. In, that's your <laughs> life in a nutshell. Yeah. It's just people looking at it and saying, man, that must be really fun to just do a lot of turtle stuff all the time. Yes. Not really. I yeah, used to envy work. you. I really, really used to envy you, Chris. Before I knew you. And now I really just love You know, I only drank wine tonight. I didn't drink whiskey, so let's not get into it. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. right. So crying instead of fighting, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I can't believe it. (laughs) Wine makes you happy, but then you feel bad the next day. Okay, so... The we're going to go rapid fire again, as Pat Sajak would say, I'm going to give the wheel a final spin. And obviously our guest gets more time than we do, but we are now absolute experts on this. Who wants to go first this time? I went first last time. Kevin or Chris, I'm looking at you guys. Not it. I'll go first. That's fine. Okay. Do you have the timer up, Kev? One minute, right? Yeah. Well, we did 30 seconds, but let's do one minute. 30 seconds was too close. We just, we got to see how close we can get to one minute. Don't make, don't make the ding go off. Let's try on our own organically to see who can get closest to a minute without going over. So combining Wheel of Fortune, Price is Right. Well, are you going to explain what the tax we're going over this time is? What are you talking about? What's the question? What's the question? Yeah, yeah, what's, what's the, question? the question? Of course, yes. Gosh, let me get to it, guys. Geez, so this is the best species. He wasn't going to do it. <laughs> the best species pot- spotlight where we talk about. I was going to. Gosh, Anthony, you just you not, know a difference. Not, you don't have your stuff in order today, man. I do have my stuff in order. We talking? You know what? Just you. You just be quiet over there, Peanut Gallery. Oh, okay. okay. So the best species spotlight is where we talk about the best taxa that is something last show we did the best species that nobody's familiar with or that we think you ought to be familiar with yeah uh this time we are doing um which one are we doing (laughs) (laughs) like to make a connection the best species the best species for making a connection sorry gee obviously i was lying i really wasn't lying i was gonna say i i had to call you today to get like a better grasp of what you're talking about so yes right so I did know at that point. Oh, God, I hope I got it right then. So, so like an emotional connection with... An so emotional... Yes, and there you go. Okay. Connection. Okay. So who's going first, Kev? 
I'll go first. That's fine. Okay. Now we're trying to keep it. We're trying to keep this to a minute for everyone, but yeah. Yunro, who's who's gets, you know, we want to hear him talk. That's why he's here. Yeah. All right. Let's do it, Kev. T- tell so us what you I'm got. Gonna hit, I'm going to hit start right now. Uh, here we go. So this is a newer, much newer species for me to work with. Uh, that is actually on screen is Chris's Aldabra uh, tortoise, Mickey, uh, and my daughter, who you met in the very beginning of the show about two years ago. Uh, I've always just loved them. I've always wanted one, but never really thought it was possible for myself until I see Chris, who has one. Uh, spent two years going over there, checking them out, and finally jumped in. Uh, Andrew, who's actually in the audience tonight from Arizona Tortoise Compound, helped me out. Great guy. Um, it's not the best species for everybody, but I can't even tell you, like, just even the short time I've had it, the two months, it's one of the most personable animals I've ever come across. I go into the enclosure. It doesn't run. It comes up to me. It eats out of my hand already. Uh, and knowing that this is going to be an animal that I could possibly pass on to my family and my, I mean, my kids and their kids and so on and so forth is something that I, I can't tell you how much I value. Uh, I love that animal. And I'm, I love Mickey, too. So thanks, Chris, for showing me that. And that's my time at 57 seconds. Well, you were looking at the countdown the whole time. Or the countdown. I had it. Yeah. yeah, see, we don't get the ease of that. We, we got to really perform. He was like giving himself a high five. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I had no idea, you, self. You, st- you still have to range it. You know, you still have to time it out in your head. I know. It's tough to stop exactly on the dollar when you pump gas. I get it. But still, you were watching the meter the whole time. <laughs> I get it. Just saying. Now, if anyone else had similar the thoughts worst. about their f- species, don't. Be alarmed, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Chris, were you going to talk about Mickey, too? Sorry, Chris. What? Am I going now? Yeah, why not? All right, I'll go. I'll go. I see your 57, Kev, and I'm going to raise you like maybe 30 seconds. (laughs) Okay, well, let me me restart this. I'll hit start whenever you start talking. Count me off. Three, three. Two. So stop. I've also chosen no <laughs> stop. I've also chosen a <laughs> giant tortoise for obvious reasons. And now our life, my wife and I, we have the backing where we have worked with them both in the zoo field and we work with them at home. My wedding gift to my wife was our Aldabra tortoise, Mickey. Mickey's going to get huge. So like Kevin said, Aldabras are not going to be for everybody. However, if you can provide to them, give them the room inside, give them the room outside, you can do it even in the Northeast. They are personable. They are unbelievable. You can pet them, you can scratch them, you can yes, you can that. They connect with us on a different level. They're a very social species. They enjoy being around other species of tortoise, including people. So that's why I chose them. There's my wife, Casey, with one at the zoo. And that's Mickey. And Mickey is finally outside for the season. So that's it. That's all I got. I like how this is happening. This is fun. This is fun with the choosing the same and not knowing. That was good. Yeah. Steve didn't tell anyone. He just took everyone's pictures ahead of oh, time. Oh, yes. Did not tell didn't us. Didn't tell yeah. anybody. You... Steve, you are a rascal. Yeah, he's probably sitting back in like these two a-holes. They both oh pick the same. Oh my species. gosh, you are a rascal. Wow. Okay. And Anthony picked another hybrid. I did uh, not pick another hybrid. <laughs> That's why it's the best taxa. Is, Spotlight is. and not best species. No, it's called best species, but it's but but then we elaborate and sometimes it'll be a subspecies, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about readier sliders. We don't also talk about the Cumberland slider necessarily every time. Okay. Different situations there. However, really for quick, mine, Chris, that was 45 seconds. Good. Woo! Good. What did I do Very last good. time? 29? Yeah, I think like, it was 29. Yeah. I feel like I was smoother last time. But you know why? Well, because you you like you were like the opening band that was better than me that just went on before me because yeah. you picked my topic. 
So like all my ideas, just like the blood just left my head, you know? Like I was yeah. going to talk about the opening scene of Jurassic Park with the Brachiosaurus and how it's like seeing that in my yard and, and then you ruined it. Yeah. So. I blacked out. <laughs> you were like an auctioneer last time. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <clears throat> and over here we got Okay, I'm up. Okay, go ahead. Okay. And so three, two, one, go. So I had to go with an Asian species, of course. Okay, that is the Chinese box turtle, Coroflava marginata. I I feel a connection with my flavos, man. I do. I feel like they're watching me, they're thinking, they're judging me. And that isn't that what you want in a turtle? I just think it is. So Chinese box turtle. Um, there's a couple different subspecies. We have um, we have both the nominate Flavo marginata, Flavo marginata, and the subspecies from the Ryukus, Evelinae, Evelinae. Yeah, you know, you know those ones. Um, the one on the screen is an integrate um, between two different subspecies. It's a really cool looking turtle. Um, I love them, and they love me, and I honestly believe that. I don't really honestly believe that, but they do more than other turtles, as opposed to the ones that just want to come and bite your fingers. So that's, yeah, Chinese box turtle. They're a lot of fun. They're very smart. Time. That was exactly Ooh, one minute. Wow. Wow. And just think, <laughs> if you didn't say the stupid comment about them loving you, too, you would have been, like, just under a minute. I wasn't over. I stopped and then the timer went off. It was good. Anthony, I have a, I have a follow-up question for you on that. Yeah. With uh, You had told me recently that there's uh, like a Japanese locale. Yeah, that's that's the ones from the Ryukus, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so Ryukus. that's the second one you were just saying, like the Evelyn Eye? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He, he didn't get to see those? Uh, he probably did, just didn't listen to me when I was showing them to him. Oh, okay. He came by my I, house recently. When they were here, I don't know if... if... No, he right? saw him in my house. He just, oh, okay. he just, it was too Anthony much. Anthony has too much stuff. I get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now that leaves our honored guest. Okay. So I'm going to give 10 seconds to each of the three taxis that I like the best. Ooh. So there was, there was a, a taxi. I think it was a Toyota Prius in Vancouver. <laughs> I like that one a lot. The second taxi I really liked was a Peugeot 504 in Paris. That was many years ago. And then Peugeot, there was a 40D diesel in Israel. And those are my three favorite taxis. I love it. When you said taxis, I'm like, what is he talking about? That was excellent. And I do. That was like 20 seconds, right? That was good. You win. <laughs> so I got all the taxis. I really don't have any other taxis. You were like the guy on Price is Right who, who bids a dollar. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the taxis. Um, so of course the, you know, the two, the two, um, that you guys picked are really like my faves too. I, I had, a, I spent 33 years raising an Aldabra, um, up to three, almost 400 pounds. There she is. Uh, beautiful. Um, uh, one of the saddest days of my life was leaving South Florida and feeling like I couldn't really provide for her in, in Arizona the way I wanted to. And so I, I, I sold uh, that female and actually um, a one Galop and three Eldabras uh, when I left. But those that was my Florida backyard where they thrived for many, many years and were with me through uh, hurricanes and, uh, and children and all kinds of things and really the most fantastic animal around. 
um, and and they do play a, a role in Turtle Planet too. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for those of us who can't either afford those in for their cost or for their feeding uh, or for their space or whatever their requirements, because they're not uh, something to be taken lightly as a commitment. Um, I, I agree with Anthony that Flavo marginata is a great species. I, Anthony knows that I really have a soft spot for, for Pani. Um, and could we have, see a picture of the Pani? I think we saw it before. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people seem like not to love them. Um, they think they're not as uh, colorful or they're not as engaging as some of the more that are maybe a little more terrestrial. Um, I, I have videos, which some of which I put up on Instagram, of them chasing me around and taking worms out of my hand and, um, you know, eating and sitting in one hand or feeding with the other. I, I find them to be a wonderful species. And I don't want to say that I like them better than Flava marginata or than uh, Macordi, but I like them certainly every bit as much. And even even though people say that they're they're so shy and they're delicate and all that, um, with, with the exception of a bad thermostat, which which killed one of mine a couple of weeks ago and broke my heart, um, I, I've had um, really good luck with them and really like them a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. And, and I, I think it was an interesting point to be made with this is we're talking about animals that you feel like you make a connection with. Um, not necessarily the ones that show the most energy or the biggest reaction to you right because there's there's the whole pavlov's dog thing like where you walk in the room and my reeves turtles are splashing the water the way like a red ear slider does they're so excited when you walk in they want food and they're showing you that they want food um one species that uh the monk and i really enjoy the the oaxacan mud turtles right they're like that i actually i have them up high because i want to keep them warmer so i had my hand on their tub while I was doing something, uh, I have some japonica behind b- below them, geoimida japonica, and I'm, I'm reaching in and messing around with their water dish with my hand like this, and they come up, there they are, they come up and bite my knuckle while it's holding on to, I mean, they have to reach all the way up like they're trying to climb out of their tub, which they don't normally do, to come over and bite my hand to basically say, hey, I'm over here, take a look, come on, where's the food? I know when you show up, food comes. That's really fun with with turtles. It's a really cool thing, but it's not necessarily a connection. They're seeing me for one thing, and um, one thing that I mentioned to to Yunro in our conversations is the fact that turtles like that I refer to as um, or compare to strippers or exotic dancers, if you were, because you and forgive me for the you know risque analogy but their 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 interest in you is for one reason it's very one-dimensional right they're coming to you like oh hey big guy want to buy a dance no i don't i'm really uncomfortable just being here and that's the truth i am really the few times i've been whereas whereas your interest in them is much deeper (laughs) it's really a a cheaply one-sided I mean, you went there in order to educate them and help them. No, no. Sometimes some, well, I mean, come on. As a young man, sometimes you just end up there. You have friends, things, but I've never really, really enjoyed that. I haven't. I haven't. People watching, fine. I enjoy people watching, and that is a very advanced form of people watching. 
by definition, right? But just the point so being maybe, that maybe the thing about the mud turtles is that we we probably figure that those Oaxacans, and you're right, I really do love that species a lot, and I think that's one of the more rare, underappreciated, and affordable, um, you know, vanishing aquatics that people can get into, and I hope they do. Um, they're a really fantastic turtle. Uh, but I think it's legitimate to say that they would respond to anybody who walked into the room that way, right. looking for Right, them. right. Whereas a Kawara or an Aldabra is not going to do that. They're going to look and, and you know, even, even my wife who, you know, is in the room and, and around the turtles often and particularly now when they're quartered briefly in the kitchen, um, you know, they don't, they don't come out and, and go looking for her to give them something to eat. Um, but the Oaxacans, they see motion, they think food, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody walks in, they want to. So there, I mean, I think there is a higher level of discernment. Now, you know, we are, we are grotesquely anthropomorphizing here, which yeah. is fun to do. And we are assuming that, you know, we, we know what they're thinking and right. we, we don't really, maybe, um, you know, maybe the Oaxacan muds are concocting quadratic equations while they eat. I don't know. Um, but it is our impression that we have a little more uh, of a personal, uh, there's some more discernment on the part of the turtle towards us um, with some species than there is with another, and that we are gratified by that. It makes us feel special in some way. And I think that's definitely that true. Right? I mean, it makes us feel special because we should feel special because we're the ones keeping them alive and doing the work. Right, right. right. Well, you know, going back real quick to, to the to the Aldabras, um, my wife, you know, she mainly raised Mickey, our Aldabra, you know, and she would come out to the building every day. And even at the old house, she, she would spend the one-on-one -on -one time with him just from him being a little hatchling. And, you know, I couldn't take that one-on-one -on -one time all the time with him because I had to tend to the entire collection. And even though she would help me with that, she would always make sure that she got that time with him. And still to this day, if I go walking out to him, whether he's inside for the winter or he's out there, he, you know, he sees me and that's really it. As soon as he sees her, he raises all the way up. So, you know, whether all, all Aldabras do that, if that's something credible right there, I, I don't know. But that is something that that tortoise does at the sight of her. So he does recognize her, you know. And we do know that turtles, you know, look at eastern box turtles. They're able to recognize members of their own colony and they know newcomers. They've already studied that. Um, you know, you want to go into to turtles that have that a look about them that can pro problem solve the North American wood turtle. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've experienced it on, on many more ways than I'd even like to admit, because when I was younger and stubborn, I lost some of them because I underestimated their intelligence. Mm -hmm. so, That's the species I figured you were going to use for. I'm this. a little disappointed that I didn't, but I didn't think that Kevin would backstab me and steal my <laughs> species. You know, Chris, you know how excited I've been for the past. I, like, you know. I, as soon as I sent Steve the photos, I was like, he's totally going to pick the Aldabra, you know, but it's okay. And I did. I didn't pick it till after I got off the phone with Anthony. I think it's telling <laughs> that, so, you know, maybe, maybe things like the North American wood turtles and the core too, um, and bog turtles and spotted turtles, maybe animals that are generalists that find food sources in both plant and animal material, um, that are, uh, able to live on in water and on land. Maybe this generalist brain is one that we find particularly engaging because they 
interact with the world in a way that we can relate to and connect and recognize more easily and clearly than a turtle that just eats forest mushrooms, for example, and nothing mm -hmm. else, right? And, and I think that there's a reason why so many of us like, you know, turtles that live in that ecological niche, whether those are, you know, Hyacemis grandis, you know, whether they're off in Asia or whether they're in our own backyard. There's something very engaging about those, you know, wood and box turtles, uh, rhinoclemmies also. Oh, you know, yeah. all, they all have that kind of a alertness and they respond to us. And I think that there's a reason why they're their favorite captives. Right. Right. Maybe it's even part of their general general strategy that, that they knew that the apo turtle apocalypse was coming and that if they were that attractive to people like dogs did, they would stay yep. alive. You know, yeah. I want to share re really quick. I'll make this quick because I know it's getting late here. But I do want to share one quick story about the North American wood turtle. Um, I'm going to leave some details out that'll you know make the story not as engaging. But uh, when I lived at home with my parents, my parents allowed me to put in a turtle pond. But you know I spent so many times butchering the yard that my parents finally made a deal with me, like we'll get a real pond made. So we had uh, a local pond company come out and build a pond for the turtles. While it was beautiful, it was not the most functional because these guys are used to koi, okay? So I had to add a lot of things to the water so that the turtles didn't drown. Um, and they also used these designer stones to put the retaining wall up. Obviously, it needed to be aesthetically pleasing for my parents' parents to be happy. But I knew, even as a kid, they're going to get out. You know, like, there, there ain't no way they're not getting out of this, you know? So we had an area where... I don't remember how this happened, but a couple of the blocks had actually cracked and crumbled. And there was a really, really terrible storm coming. It was July this year, uh, this, this year that it happened. And I remember frantically trying to figure out a way to fix this area of the fence because it was bothering me. My father kept saying, get in the house. I mean, the, it was like 60 mile per hour winds coming. So get in, get in the house. You can deal with it tomorrow. The turtles will be fine. And I said, no, I said, they're going to figure something out. He's like, they're turtles. Come on. I said, no, I'm, I'm telling you. So here's this area that had just collapsed. And there was a male wood turtle sitting right there. And he didn't look at me. He didn't look at anything. He just stared right at that area where it was compromised. He knew something was different. So all only chance I had before I really pissed my father off was I had to figure out I just put some boards there some just flimsy boards something hanging over a little bit to if he were to get up there maybe he would fall back down. Next day I come outside after the storm and I was finally allowed to go back outside the boards were down the blocks were still there but crumbled I never saw that turtle again. So he's there you telling go. his turtle friends the same story about this idiot kid that was staring at him before he got out. Oh, he is. He totally is. He's two towns over right now. You got to check out this fat kid over in Howell. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but that was, God, I was still living at home. I was 16, you know, so, but, you know. So I want to thank you for that fat kid from Howell. You're welcome. Um, I wanted to cheer you up. I want to wrap it up with this. I want to bring it back to the book. Turtle Planet. It's available on Amazon, both um, soft cover, paperback. Why do people say soft cover? I see people all the time selling turtle books. Now, there it is. Very nice. Um, paperback. And also 
um, as an ebook as well. Um, be sure to get yourself a copy if you haven't already. Um, Yunro, can you share with us what's it been like? I mean, the the interesting thing now that we have to ha get to have you on. I said have to. That was like a Freudian slip. I wanted to have you here. <laughs> I promise, I wanted to have you here. So um, the, 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 we're lucky to have you on another time and happy to have you here. And it's really great on top of it because we get to hear and what's it been like? Have, what are you hearing? What's the buzz been like? So we have six, six days that it's been available and it's not really quite enough time to start getting a whole lot of feedback because people, you know, even if they bought it the day it became available, they still have only had it for four or five days at, at best. Um, and so I, I have only heard, uh, other than you guys, I've only heard from one person who has finished it, um, wow. uh, you know, and, and like wrote me a long email about that. I, I, I Maybe there are others who haven't communicated with me, but um, mm -hmm. the, the book has been selling well. Uh, I mean, it's not um, selling like uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, White House se uh, secrets. Um, but you know, it's not. But but for for a Taoist book about turtles, I think it's doing great. And uh, I got a very wonderful, some very wonderful emails from people who are reading it or have finished it. Um, but again, with only with only five or six days under my belt, it's a little too soon to say. Uh, but but I believe it's going to do great. And and mostly thanks to efforts of of you folks to get the word out to people who care about these things. So thank you for. Thank you for bringing something new and refreshing and exciting. I'm really yeah, enjoying it. It doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying so. Very so, Thank you for, for being on with us again. Um, thank you for being understanding when we botched the first attempt. And um, hopefully everyone enjoyed this version uh, better with less echo and more fun transitions that we still don't totally understand. Steve understands them and he's we'll frantically trying to get us to understand them. Yeah, well, he's making things happen that are new to us. So bear with us. It's getting better I, every time. Can I say and, one last uh, thing? I would no. love for you to say one last thing. Thanks, Chris. I got, a, uh, I got a text from somebody talking about this. They're watching it right now. And I, I had written back saying, the monk is a very entertaining watch. And the only response was, he's perfection. So Wow. Wow. That's, wow, that's a big sign right there, you know? And this is the first show I've done about taxis. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I did fairly well, you know, given that I was ill-prepared. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. I, I want to know what else happened in these ta taxi, taxi cab confe confessions with the monk. What are those in called? Like In Asia, they use, like, tuk-tuks? What are they called? Yeah, some countries do. It's a three-wheeled motorcycle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's... You didn't include that in your taxi list, though, so no, I was confused, no. you know? It's not a taxi well, list. It <laughs> yeah, didn't do it for him. Just saying. Thank you all for, for joining us. Um, we'll be on again in two weeks, because that would be a month from the last unscheduled podcast show that we did, podcast show that we did. Who do we have um, coming up on this next one? Uh, I believe them. it is... I think it's uh, Sam Pascucci from Florida Iguana and oh, Turtle Breeders. Oh, terrific. Yeah. terrific. So we'll be talking more about Aldabras. We should have saved the Aldabra for that. See, we both. No, yeah, Sam, no, Sam has some really big Aldabras. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to do something different. Huh? No, you can't. Yeah. Steve just yeah. asked if you can talk too much Aldabra. The answer is no. And even for me, who doesn't have Aldabras. Yeah. 
We should have Casey come on and talk about how she got stepped on by one. Yeah, bring her on. I would say let's you do too many hosts one. already. Who's going to watch? Who's going watch, uh, to watch Thing One and Thing Two? Then you know that would be you. Thing One watches Thing Two. I'm sick that day. I can't do that. Deal. <laughs> the only way we add one is if you get dropped. I can drop if, I, if I yeah. want. Yeah, I'll think about it. Me. I think I'm the least important one, so I'll drop. I'll think about it, but the answer already is yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you again, gentlemen, very much. Thank you so Thank much you. for being Thank with us. us. Thank you for your great work. Everyone, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Don't hang up yet, though, because there's credits. <laughs>